This is the second uh, installment on a four-part series on anxiety, and uh, Travis will be bringing the message to us next week, um, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what God has put on his heart. Um, we can pray for them as they travel back from uh, Oklahoma and uh, enjoying some well-deserved time off. Um, as I uh, was thinking about uh, the sermon for this morning, um, I was reminded of some of the things that I shared with you last time. And this particular passage uh, where Jesus says to not worry is often used as uh, a, a, an opportunity to um, uh, frankly kind of beat up on people who worry <laughs> and and to tell them that you know like the fact that they're worrying is is sinful and that that um, you know God does not approve of their worry and um, as I shared with you last week I, I sincerely believe that the feeling of anxiety or worry or concern or stress is not sinful in and of itself it's it's what we do with it it's what how we respond to that and and what do we do with those things that concerns us uh, that really makes the the activity good or bad it's what we do and uh, one of the main things that we can do as believers is to seek God's kingdom and that's really the core of t this morning's message um, as we uh, take a look at this this challenge of the uh, statement do not worry so if you would stand with me as we read God's word this is in Luke chapter 12 starting with verse 22 then he said to his disciples therefore I tell you don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, and yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than birds? Uh, can any one of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If you then are not able to do this even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock. Because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near 
and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father God, I just lift up this morning to you and I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Help us to uh, reflect upon where is our treasure, where is our heart in this regard. And help us to um, build one another up and encourage one another as we implement and, and apply your word to our lives. And Lord, I just lift this up to you and pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, what we see here in this passage is Jesus is talking about the nature of man. He's talking about their life, which um, is the word uh, suke or psyche, and that word can also be translated soul. And so Jesus is talking about the soul and the body, the psyche and the soma. And, and that's relevant because he's, he's representing that in the story that he tells about the wildflowers and the ravens. And this word psyche is the same word that we use for uh, psychiatry or psychology, which is the study of the human soul, uh, the human mind. And he uses the word soma, which is the body. And, and he's saying here that the body is more than the clothing that you wear. And your soul is more than the food that you eat. And we, we see this play out. In, and don't get me wrong, these are necessities of life. We need food. We need clothing. Both are essential needs that we have as human beings. In fact, if, if we have a deprivation of food or clothing, that becomes a very significant issue to your well-being. So what is Jesus trying to convey here? Let's uh, dig into the text here. And a verse just before this, Jesus says, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, He then told them, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. You see, there was a man who came and asked Jesus to adjudicate between him and his brother over his father's estate. This is not an unusual circumstance for rabbis to settle disputes between two people, two parties. And so this man was coming to Jesus and asking him to take on this role of settling the dispute between him and his brother. And Jesus declines and says, who appointed me judge over you? And then he warns the man and presumably the people that are around him about the dangers of greed. Jesus goes on to tell a parable. And he tells the parable of the rich fool. You see, the rich fool had a very, very successful uh, crop in his farming. He was very successful at farming. And this particular time, he, he's, his harvest was so bountiful that the storage that he had was not big enough to contain it all. And so he says, I'm going to build bigger barns 
I'm going to build bigger storage and so that I can take this bountiful harvest and store it and I'm going to take it easy. You know, God, God maybe he, I don't know if he gave God credit, but he's, he was so blessed that he was going to take it easy and go into early retirement and enjoy the wealth that God had given him. But Jesus offers this jarring revelation and reveals that God says in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You see, this man was making plans for early retirement and God was going to demand his life that very night. This man was anxious about what to do with all of his wealth. When in reality, he should have been anxious over his own soul. And so, Jesus then interprets this parable by saying in verse 21, that is how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so it's in light of this context. That that is the context in which Jesus shares the do not worry passage. And it's important to understand that context because it influences how we interpret what it is that Jesus is saying. In verse 22 and 23 it says, and then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, your soul, uh, or what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear for your life. Your soul is more than food and your body more than clothing. You see, Jesus is saying here that we need to put these concerns for our souls and our bodies into a right perspective. And that perspective is being rich towards God. I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but let's take a look at what happens when we allow this anxiety to overtake our soul and our body. As we sh- talked about last week, anxieties can take our soul. They can, they can, we can become consumed and fearful about all kinds of circumstances. Uh, the thoughts of dread, the feeling of dread can become consuming plague and, and lead to all kinds of worrisome thoughts. The fear, the anxieties, the worries, the dread are all heaviness on the soul. And our bodies are impacted by these worries as well. You know, your heart racing. And then in extreme cases, uh, stress and anxiety can lead to heart disease. Or maybe it's an upset stomach. And in extreme cases for that, that can lead to ulcers. It could be tension. It could be headaches. It could be problems breathing. But the reality of anxiety is it can have a huge impact on the physical body. And that impact is very real. One way to think about it is when stress is handled in a negative way, um, all bad things become worse. But it's not just the soul and the body that are impacted. There's spiritual implications as well. 
Jesus tells another parable, and in this parable, it's the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. And Jesus describes four ways that people can respond to God's word, four different ways. In the third way, he describes the response of a person who the seed is planted, it begins to grow up, but there's thorns that grow up with it. And those thorns begin to choke out this new plant. And, and the end result of that is that the plant becomes unfruitful. It doesn't bear fruit because of the thorns that choked it out. And then Jesus explains to his disciples what's happening. In uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 14, he says, As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones when they heard go on their way and are choked out with the worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. Notice that there's a strong parallel between the, the passage in chapter 12 and this parable of the soils. We see that worries and riches and pleasures of this life are the root cause of these problems. These issues in the Word of God are not producing the good fruit that God intends to bring forth from His Word. So let's take a look at these admonitions in, in these passages uh, on worries. In Luke chapter 12, verse 22, it says, Don't worry. Don't worry about your life. In Luke chapter uh, 12, verse 25 and 26, it says, who can add by worrying? Or why worry about the rest? In Luke chapter uh, 12, verse 29, it says, Don't strive and don't be anxious. In verse 32, it says, Don't be afraid. You see, in this passage, we have several don'ts. Don't worry about your life. You can't add more to your life by worrying. Don't strive. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. And so we find in these key passages that when it comes to worry, these don'ts make it clear that God does not want us to be consumed with the worries of this life. And oftentimes, there's commentaries that suggest that worry is a sin. And as I shared with you earlier and last week, the feeling of worry is not sinful, but rather it's the actions that follow that are sinful. And yet this passage has been used in, uh, to beat up people who struggle with being anxious. Now, among us are people who kind of have a general disposition towards being anxious. You have somebody in your family who's like this. They're just generally, that's, they're wired that way. And then, I don't know why, but God has a great diversity of, of how he makes us. And so, on the one end, we have the people that are kind of have a disposition to being anxious. And on the other end, we have the people who are cold and don't really care. Stoic. And so we have this great diversity in terms of how people respond to cares and concerns in this world. And what 
the reality is is that it is not the feeling but the response that is important what makes it good or bad let me give you an example i know a person who has a general disposition to be anxious and like i said i don't know why i don't know why god created her that way um but i hold her in high regard i know that she prays regularly that she's in god's word regularly that god speaks to her regularly and so if she's concerned about something i can have pretty i can be pretty confident that she has prayed about the thing that she is sharing and so i i aspire to live my life in in a way that she models for the rest of us and so if your anxiety leads you to a place where you respond by bringing it to god and praying and putting your hope in god's good provision it would be hard for me to say that that anxiety was a sin because it ended with something that was good and so it led to seeking after god on the other hand if the person's anxiety leads them to selfish or self-sufficient solutions irritability in relationships distrust of god or other sinful actions we can safely conclude that those actions make that a sin but not the feeling itself we see this in the parable of the rich fool as well consider if if we change the story a bit with the rich fool he's concerned about what am i going to do with all of this stuff this wealth these this crop I, i don't have any room for it and instead of thinking in his mind i'm going to build bigger barns he decides you know what god has blessed me i'm going to take this bountiful harvest and I'm going to make sure that all the poor in my community have food to eat. I'm going to make sure that, that those around me are blessed because God has blessed me. We wouldn't call that a sin. In fact, that would be fulfilling the, the, the point that Jesus is trying to make in this passage. And so it is the response that leads to brokenness it is the response that leads to seeking after god in this passage jesus is using the general revelation uh, to speak truth into circumstances psalm 19 verses 1 through 4 it says the heavens declare the glory of god the expanse proclaims the works of his hands day after day they pour out speech night after night they communicate knowledge there is no speech there were there are no words their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. So Jesus is presenting a visual analogy to help understand the truth that he is trying to describe here. And he uses the wildflowers and the ravens as a sort of a memory aid, a visual aid to help us remember what it is that he's talking about however i think that there's something deeper here than just a simple analogy um, i think that jesus is literally 
in real time with those who he's talking to, leading them in a meditation on God's creation. When he says, consider, he's asking these people to look deeper, to open their eyes, to contemplate, to pay attention to the truth in this situation. I imagine that Jesus is there preaching and he's pointing up at these ravens and say, consider these ravens over here and how God feeds them. And then he's, there's a, a, a field over there with wildflowers and he's saying, consider the wildflowers and how beautiful that they are. He's inviting his audience to look deeper into God's care and provision for us through meditating on his creation. This type of meditation is found in the book of Psalms in various places. And what is more, I think it applies to our modern lives as well. A couple of weeks ago, Amy and I visited Snoqualmie Falls. I've lived near these falls for many, many years. And in fact, I have driven within 10 minutes of these falls dozens of times. And yet, two weeks ago was the first time that I actually stopped and looked at these falls. Isn't it like that in our, our modern culture that, that there's such beauty around us? We have opportunities to stop and enjoy God's beautiful creation, and yet we're so busy getting from point A to point B that we speed past these beautiful things. There's a picture of Snoqualmie Falls. It's a beautiful place, and I consider you I encourage you to go by and see it. You might have experienced this too. You know, like you, you have a family vacation. You go to the coast or you go to the forest or uh, you, you go to the mountains to hike maybe. Uh, for those of you who like to hike. Um, and you enjoy God's creation and, and that the pressures of life begin to kind of uh, come off of your shoulders, right? And you just settle in and there's just sort of a peaceful experience in that. And then as you're driving back, the, the thoughts of all the things you've got to get done and all the pressures of the world and the, the, that peace is disturbed as you come back home from that vacation. So we can experience this, um, this reality of um, experiencing a, a peace that comes through being able to appreciate and meditate upon God's good creation. But it's not just the general revelation of God that gives us peace, uh, his creation. It's also his special revelation, his Bible, his word, his, his word to us through scriptures. And he shows us truths through the precious book we call the Bible. A few weeks ago, I woke up quite anxious thinking about all the things that I needed to get done that day. In fact, I had a deadline. I had a, a deadline that I had a bunch of stuff that I needed to get done by the end of the day uh, because I had a very important meeting. And so I was anxious. And I was looking at my schedule. It was just jam-packed. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it. I woke up a, cup, uh, a couple hours early. And any of you who know how early I get up... Uh, a couple hours early is really early, like two or three in the morning. And, and I was tempted 
to just jump in and do my to-do list. I really was, because I was, it was weighing on me. That's one of the reasons I woke up early. And um, I had this conviction that I needed to get into God's Word. Um, in fact, I looked at this very passage that we're discussing today. This very passage is the passage that God led me to. And I spent about 30 minutes meditating on the truth in this passage in God's Word. And as I ended that time in prayer, I had this strong impression that God wanted me to go back to sleep. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest with you, at first I resisted. I was like, no, I, Lord, I've got so much stuff to get done. I don't really have time to go back to sleep. <laughs> and um, eventually I opted to trust God and I got extra sleep. In fact, I, I slept so well that I woke up with just enough time to get ready for work and uh, didn't get any of the things done on my to-do list. And as I progressed through the day, various opportunities to get the things done that I needed to get done, God presented and opened up those opportunities. And so literally, God added these things to me when I trusted in Him. So what does it mean to seek God's kingdom? What does that mean? In Luke chapter 12, verse 31, it says, But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided to you. I've already shared that we can seek God through his uh, general revelation, looking at, at creation. We, we can learn from his word and seeking his kingdom through his word. And if we live in obedience that God is teaching us through his word, but I think there's four essentials that invo are involved in Christian faith. The first one, the very, the most important bedrock foundational issue in the Christian faith is the gospel. And the gospel is that we have fallen short. We have made a mess of our lives because of our own sinfulness. And God has saved us through His Son. And when we put our faith in that saving power of God, God rescues us from ourselves, from our sin. But He also makes us prepared to spend eternity with Him in heaven. And so we have the gospel. That is an essential that we pursue as Christians. The second one is to love God. And we love God by being obedient to His Word. We follow Him, we, we read His Word, we understand His Word, and then we become obedient to Him in those things. We pray to Him, we meditate upon His truths, and we love God in that way. Next, as we humbly obey God and His Word, we move on to loving others. As Christians, we are responsible obligated to be an encouragement to one another that's not an option that is how god equips the church uh, is to use each and every one of us to be an encouragement to someone else in the body of christ that is our responsibility it's not just up to the pastors it's not just up to the the bible study leaders it's an, a responsibility that each of us shares to be an encouragement to one another, to love on each other in that way. 
And we love the community when we minister to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of others that live in the community. And we represent Christ when we care about souls in the same way and we care about bodies in the same way that Jesus was concerned about them. And this, then, leads to the fourth one, which is following the Great Commission. When, when we've been obedient to the gospel, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we're loving God, we're loving others in the church, and we're sharing in ministry to the community around us, we have a responsibility as Christians to share the good news, to share the truth that God has put in our hearts, to disciple other people to do the same, to encourage other people to do the same and build up the kingdom of Christ. And so we pursue God. When we seek God, we do those things. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, it says that God delights to give us the kingdom. Think about that. God delights. He wants to give you the blessings in this life. When we seek Him, He blesses us by giving us what we need and he gives us blessings on our lives and it's his delight to do so when i think about it like such an amazing truth that gives peace to my soul that god delights in blessing me in verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. You know, just a second ago, I, I talked about um, the, the reality of God's love and how when we love God and when we love others, we minister to people that are around us. And one way that you can tell if you are seeking God's kingdom is if you are more concerned about the poor than you are about becoming poor. When we pursue God, it is evident that we are pursuing God's kingdom when we have a care and compassion for those who are weak and vulnerable among us. And in verse 33 also, it says to treasure these eternal things. This act of treasuring eternal things, Jesus says that we seek God's kingdom and we engage in acts that have eternal significance. <coughs> that we are literally storing up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven, think about it. The treasures of, of this life will decay. The treasures of this life will fade the treasures of this life will pass away. But the treasures in heaven are eternal. And so we store up treasures. When we focus on those things that are eternal, that have eternal value and eternal significance, we store up those things that are of value. And making that a priority will be a guard against worries. When you love people, when you 
serve people, when you minister to people, your thoughts are no longer about your own anxious situation, your stressful situation. When you help other people, there's, there's a peace that comes from ministering in that way. There's a blessing. There's a blessing that God has for you. The last point. Your treasure and your heart go together. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you would stand with me as we close I want to read this verse together um, Jesus is saying something really profound here and I want each and every one of us to embrace the reality of that verse so let's, let's say that together for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now go ahead and close your eyes, and as the music's playing, I want you to ask God to examine your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the treasures of your heart. Are you seeking God's kingdom? And as the piano plays, I take a moment to reflect on these things and make a commitment to God in response to what He's revealing in your heart. praise you and thank you. You are a God that hears our prayer. Lord, we ask that you look into our hearts, look into our lives. And Lord, if there's things that we're holding on to, worries of this life, the deceit, deceitfulness of riches, whatever it is, Lord, that we're holding on to that keeps us from fully seeking your kingdom, I pray that you would just help us to release those things right now. And Lord, help us to turn. And yet, Lord, even as I, I say this prayer this, this morning, I realize that in me, there is no capacity to do this. 
And so, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and fill each and every one of us. That we might be able to seek the kingdom of God and realize the peace, the blessing that exists in seeking you. Lord, when we have anxieties, I pray that you help us to turn to you, to trust in you, to put our hope in you. Lord, we confess the times when we fall short and we thank you for your grace that restores us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this song, uh, we have a time of commitment. If you would like to come forward and have someone pray with you, um, we would love to be able to do that. Uh, Perhaps you don't know what it means to have a saving relationship with God. I pray that you would uh, come forward. I would love to share with you what the good news of Christ is. Um, Perhaps stepping out might create uh, too much anxiety for you. Uh, There's cards in front of you, response cards in front of you. Would you fill that out and drop it in one of the offering boxes and the staff would love to get in touch with you and encourage you and pray with you as you face struggles in this life.